This is Sharon Squassoni. I direct the Proliferation Prevention Program here at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And I'm here talking today with Valerie Lindsay as part of our uh, podcast series on transparency. Valerie directs uh, the Wisconsin Project on Nuclear Arms Control. Welcome, Valerie. Thank you, Sharon. It's great to talk with you. Um, we're going to be talking today about Iran and transparency. Um, but I wondered if you could just give our listeners a little bit of background on what the Wisconsin Project is, what you do, and and talk a little bit more in depth about your latest report on this topic. Sure. Well, the Wisconsin Project uh, is a small nonprofit, uh, nonpartisan research organization that is based here in Washington, D.C., uh, not in Wisconsin, though the organization was founded in cooperation with the University of Wisconsin in 1986. And our mission is essentially to um, inhibit the spread of weapons of mass destruction by controlling strategic trade. So we focus a lot on not only the sort of classic nonproliferation areas, but also export controls. And in addition to analysis, you actually, I think, do some training for U.S. government officials and foreign government officials? That's right. We right. do uh, training specifically on uh, best practices in controlling strategic trade, so items that can be used to make weapons of mass destruction, but that also have a dual purpose, a civilian purpose. And so we travel to countries and help government officials um, understand how best to control that trade, know where it's going, uh, who's sending it, and uh, help them to avoid risky transactions. So the Wisconsin Project has been, <clears throat> I think, I would say a key voice in these issues for a long time. I remember some of the analysis that came after um, our discovery in 1991 that Iraq was importing a lot of stuff from the West. Stuff is a technical term. Um, you know, <laughs> three, four, five access machine tools um, from the West, and this was quite a surprise. Your organization has been analyzing Iran for a long time, and you've been pub publishing something called the Iran Watch. Can you talk? And I remember when I worked in government, uh, I actually participated in a few roundtables, um, giving sort of my perspective from the congressional end. Can you talk a little bit about Iran Watch and what your latest um, areas of focus are? Yeah. So Iran Watch is a website. Uh, it's a public website devoted to Iran that we started in 2003 at the time when uh, the scope of Iran's undeclared nuclear work started to come out. Uh, so at that time, we found out that Iran was operating or was building a uranium enrichment plant and was building a heavy water production plant. So through these projects, was going to have access to eventually uh, enriched uranium and potentially plutonium. Uh, so we started the website at that time to try and draw attention to where Iran's program was going, what Iran had done in the past uh, secretly, and then in particular drawing upon the focus of the Wisconsin Project, identifying and profiling entities in Iran uh, contributing to those programs of concern, to that sort of risky work, and also foreign entities that were or, or c were continuing to supply uh, those programs. And I bet some of the names of those entities made it into the annexes 
in the actual Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action on Iran because there were, I believe, a list of the entities that had been involved in weapons of mass destruction-related procurement? Yes. The earlier impact of our work on entities was in the UN Security Council sanctions process that began in 2006. So we provided um, a report at that time when the international community was trying to constrain Iran. Uh, We provided a list of entities that were contributing to the program based on open source information and encouraged governments uh, to designate, to sanction, to blacklist those entities because of their work. And a lot of those entities were subsequently um, blacklisted by the United States and the European Union, but also by the United Nations. Um, In the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which does reduce a lot of the sanctions uh, that were imposed on Iran, many of the entities that received sanctions relief were actually um, not entities that had been specifically focused on the nuclear or the missile program. Uh, It was more entities uh, from Iran's energy sector, uh, public utilities, shipping, shipping, um, oil and gas, again, the idea being that these entities had been sort of sanctioned subsequently because of their contribution to Iran's economy, and that economy was fueling um, the weapon programs. Um, so there are sanctions that remain on the sort of key entities in Iran working on, um, in particular, the missile program, but also some nuclear entities. So is it fair to say you're somewhat of a critic of the <laughs> Iran deal? And if so, why? <laughs> we did not have, we did not take an official position on the JCPOA and looked at different parts of it. And we did with, with a critical eye. Uh, so there were a lot of elements of the agreement that we found to be problematic. And um, we tried while the negotiations were going on to have some impact on those particular elements, unsuccessfully, unfortunately. Um, And so here we are. We are not a group that is trying to um, end the JCPOA or have it fall apart. Yeah. Um, We believe that at this point, it's the best thing we have to constrain Iran and try and find a long-term solution to the sort of proliferation concerns in Iran. Uh, Why did we bring this critical eye to the agreement? Um, The most... Uh, two two reasons, really. One is that it allows for Iran to develop eventually a commercial-scale enrichment and unconstrained uh, sort of nuclear energy program that would make it a nuclear weapon threshold state. Um, and that is because, the second reason we didn't like the agreement, uh, there are uh, most of the constraints on Iran's nuclear work expire. Um, so the infamous sun- sunset provisions uh, that people talk about a lot. So your latest report, um, if I can characterize it correctly, is critical not so much of the JCPOA, but of how the International Atomic Energy Agency um, is reporting on uh, the JCPOA. So... um, one of the one of the main benefits that the agreement was supposed to give was transparency, more transparency into Iran's program. 
Um, and I would argue that there are certain elements in the Iran deal that do give us more information. So, for example, the procurement, there's a procurement working group which analyzes, you know, Iran has to uh, put in a request to procure certain things. That would never have, that, that just didn't happen in the past, right? So we have, or at least the procurement working group has a sense of what Iran is seeking to purchase in certain sensitive areas. Um, your report looks at that and says, well, that's really great, but they're not sharing any information publicly. So we on the outside now, whereas before we used to get quite a lot of information from the International Atomic Energy Agency, now we're getting less. Can you talk a little bit about how, well, what you see the main uh, problems with respect to transparency and how the whole thing is being implemented, and then tell us how you would fix them? Well, as you said, the main issue that we see, or the, the, the most important, is the amount of public uh, information that's being released in these quarterly International Atomic Energy Agency reports. Um, so previous to the JCPOA, those reports were quite detailed, and they included a lot of information about sort of the specifics of Iran's nuclear stockpile, uh, the specifics of its centrifuge operations, and a lot of texture about uh, inspections in Iran where inspectors were going, what kind of feedback they were, or cooperation they were getting from Iran, the type of inspection that was being undertaken, equipment that was um, inspected or used for inspection, et cetera. We don't have any of that um, post-JCPOA. We have a very narrow reporting by the IAEA on the fact that Iran is complying with the specific requirements of the agreement, uh, which, are, which are detailed in it. Um, and that's a problem because, or we see it as a problem because, well, first, those restrictions are in place in order to ensure that Iran remains um, at least one year away from being able to produce enough fuel for one nuclear weapon. And so if we don't get this kind of detailed reporting, we on the outside don't have that assurance. Uh, second, as you said, the deal was sold uh, on this idea that it was going to give great visibility into what was happening in Iran. And that was something that we welcome or welcomed. And that promise really hasn't been fulfilled as far as, as we can see it. And then I think third, the, the agreement was meant to give us some kind of understanding or uh, idea of whether Iran had really shifted in terms of its, its stance vis-a-vis -vis the United States and the West, let's say. Um, not in general, but on the nuclear issue. And with transparency, you would get a sense of whether that cooperation was there. And without it, you don't have it. Um, so f for those reasons, I think that you know, more transparency should be injected into the agreement, and I think can be, uh, because the IAEA is collecting a lot of information, and there's nothing in the agreement that prevents the IAEA from reporting on that information. So why do you think the IAEA has clammed up. I think it was a. I think it was a political um, arrangement that was made. Um, Iran clearly does not want, has said this expressly, does not want a lot of information to be published because Iran feels that that information was necessary when there was this 
conflictual relationship with the agency. They were under sanctions. They were under investigation. Now there's this JCPOA. The relationship is consensual. They would like to be treated like all other non-nuclear weapon states party to the NPT, having a safeguards agreement with the International Atomic Energy. As a country who is in compliance. Exactly. And typically, so the business as usual um, approach from the International Atomic Energy Agency is that they conduct their inspections, they consider most of that information to be what we call safeguards confidential, and the report on safeguards implementation, the annual safeguards implementation report, SIR, um, is very kind of vague. You know, occasionally they'll say, well, there was one anomaly or uh, and so Iran w- really wants to go back to business as usual. You think it's too early for that? Definitely. Um, I think it's definitely early. And that's why we have this kind of um, middle arrangement where the previous um, type of reporting is has been done away with, but we haven't arrived at this type of reporting that you just described. And so we're kind of in the middle. And I think that that type of reporting um, can be defined by the parties to the agreement. Um, and I think the parties to the agreement should change the rules on reporting in favor of more information. And they can do that, correct, within the Joint Commission? They can. The, the UN Security Council resolution, which implements uh, the nuclear agreement, tells the IAEA what to inspect, but it is does not tell the IAEA what to report. So that is something that I, that we believe could be uh, changed without changing any kind of rules or renegotiating the agreement in any way. What else uh, can we do to enhance transparency? Because frankly, I think there are a lot of um, a, a lot of people who feel the same way uh, that you do. That we still want to have as much information as possible on what Iran is doing. There are other things that could be done regarding transparency, but that would require a rule change. And so we put those in a different category, understanding that they would be more difficult to achieve. So there is this joint commission that the nuclear agreement created that's meant to sort of oversee the implementation of the agreement, resolve disputes, have an oversight responsibility on the procurement channel that you mentioned. Um, This commission operates um, confidentially. So they meet. We don't know what they talk about. They don't issue any kind of a report. They don't explain what their decisions are. Um, there's, there, it's sort of a black box, and we have to rely at this point on leaks and um, sort of reporting based on leaks. But they could change that approach if all the parties agree, That's correct, right. right? So that would be the main focus. Any other uh, easy fixes? <laughs> I don't know that I would put that in the easy fix category, but uh, similarly, the UN Security Council um, also has a series of sort of responsibilities with regard to the nuclear agreement, and the Security Council also is um, operating confidentially. Uh, so in this case, it's, we're moving away from the nuclear program, and we're looking more at Iran's missile and conventional military capabilities. But here again, we feel that it would be beneficial for the Security Council to um, be more open about uh, its deliberations, though I will say that there are a series of reports that um, a UN facilitator and the Secretary General put out every six months, which are useful, which do have some helpful information that give us visibility into what's happening. 
All right. Listen, Valerie, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation, and uh, we should check back in, um, you know, maybe in a year's time or so and see uh, how transparency with Iran is, is doing. And how the JCPOA is doing. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks.